Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. James B. Holland, the Texas Rangers, interviewing Samuel Little, the Palmdale Prison Unit, California Bureau of Corrections, Thursday, May 17th, 2018 at 1021 a.m. When do you think... Is the first time you had a killing? 1970. 1970. You remember the first Ooh, one? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pull hand around, lick, and that was it. She evidently wanted, wanted this to happen, you know. So, how long after the first one before you did the second one? About a month, too. So, you're going pretty quick. Yeah, man. How did you kill her? What happened? Same, same procedure. I kissed her. Everything I'm kissing on, I see. What you could do if I strangle you? How much I could do? You better bless the heart. Oh, dear Lord in heaven. The FBI now confirming that this man, Samuel Little, the most prolific U.S. serial killer in history. We have just gotten our mitts on spine-chilling 
confessions and jailhouse sketches that little draws of his victim. Can you just imagine all these families, the children of these women, 93 that we know of, the husbands, the boyfriends, the moms and dads, oh dear Lord, they think that their daughter just left and never came back, just left them, abandoned them. They never knew what happened to mommy. They never knew what happened to their daughter, their girlfriend, their lover, their fiance. Oh, I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us, with me. Truly an all-star panel. Medical examiner for the state of Florida, Dr. Tim Gallagher. Forensics expert, founder of Bare Bones Consulting, Karen Smith. Former FBI special agent, host of Facebook Watch series, Curse of Akakor, Bobby Chacon and renowned psychoanalyst out of Hollywood, Bethany Marshall. You know, first, I got to go to Levi Page, CrimeOnline.com, investigative journalist, where you can read about this and all other breaking crime and justice news. You know what, Levi? As much as I want to hear from you, I got to hear it from the horse's mouth. We have tapes of serial killer Samuel Little. Listen. I met her in, in a, a, a nightclub in New Orleans. We walked outside and she looked and seen my car at Lincoln. She said, ooh, you know, that's a beautiful car too. So she had uh, arm in arm, walking to the car, we got in, stopped at the gas station. We were on the Highway 10 and uh, going toward Slide L. I seen the sign say Little Woods. So I cut off, I took off the exit, went, and that sure enough was the road leading into the woods. <laughs> and we went in and parked. So we finally got to where we were going, and it was by, uh, by a river, a little water thing, and the big, uh, they had a machine out there in that little river. Dredging. Dredging. Okay. I grabbed it by the legs and pulled it to the water. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that I ever killed by drowning. Describe the location where she's left. Okay, I left her with her head still laying in the water. Half her body in the underwater and her thighs and legs on the bank. Oh, dear Lord. I, I know I keep saying, oh, dear Lord, but just hearing him and hearing him laugh. Now, before I had John, David, and Lucy, the twins, I would go very often with... One of my best friend girls, Renee, who sadly is a defense lawyer, but she and her whole very extensive Cajun family, we would go visit them, drive all the way from inner city Atlanta after court, right there to the Slidale area. I know, I think exactly what he's talking about. Oh, my. Levi Page, CrimeOnline.com investigative journalist. Did you hear him laughing? Yes, and he's talking about them very casually. He's laughing. He has a smile on his face. You would think that he would be talking about a happy time in his life. And the psychologist and the experts can talk about maybe this was a happy time in his life. But it's extremely disturbing to listen to him confess to all of these murders. And we know that he's responsible 
confirmed for about 50 murders out of about 93 that he has confessed to, that making him the most prolific serial killer in the U.S., surpassing Gary Ridgway, who was convicted of 49 murders in the state of Washington. Well, Levi Page, you're just a fountain of information, aren't you? I mean, I could have done without hearing about Ridgway on top of Samuel Little, but you just had to do it. Well, actually, Levi, you're right. Bethany Marshall, uh, I want to, Jackie, if you don't mind, I want to go back and play that first sound we heard of Samuel Little. Listen as he describes to Texas Rangers how, quote, she wanted this to happen. Do you remember the first one? Yes. Yeah. Pull hand around her neck, and that was it. She evidently wanted, wanted this to happen, you know. So how long after the first one before you did the second one? About a month, too. So you're going pretty quick. Yeah, man. How'd you kill her? What happened? Same? Same procedure. I kissed her. Everything I kissed her on. I see. What you do if I strangle you? How much I could do? You better bless her heart. To the second victim, he says, what would you do if I choked you? And he says, she wanted this to happen. You know what? I usually hear that in rape cases, Bethany Marshall. I don't usually hear that in murder cases. Well, one of the things we know about serial killers is that they have prolific fantasy lives. They infuse the memory of the crime as well as the crime itself with sexual excitement. That's, that's one of the MOs of the crime is to choke, look at the victim's face to increase their sexual arousal. So he's probably thought about these crimes so many times while he's in jail. He's relived. He's changed their narrative. He has all kinds of fantasies about what it meant to the woman. So giving the interview, not only is giving the interview a form of reliving the crime, because he's enjoying talking about this, but he's changed the narrative again and again to either minimize the severity of what he did or to infuse it with more excitement because, you know, all he's doing is sitting in jail with his fantasies. That's all he has at this point. To Dr. Tim Gallagher, the medical examiner for the state of Florida, Dr. Gallagher, did you hear what Bethany just said? I mean, just the thought of him getting enjoyment as he watches the victim strangle. What does a victim physically go through as they are strangled. I mean, I, I can only assume they know what's happening. It's not like you get a blow to the head or your throat is sliced or you take a bullet and you're gone. That's it. Immediate. Here, you know what's happening to you. You know you're dying. Well, that's true, Nancy. You know, being manually strangled is a very protracted thing and could take as long as uh, three minutes while you're being strangled, you then become consciously aware that you are now fighting for your life. And then every ounce of strength you have, you're going to direct it toward the person who's attacking you. Until finally, you run out of strength, your, your body is deprived of oxygen, and then you cannot fight any longer. You become unconscious, and then after a while, you, you suffer irreparable brain damage, and that leads directly to your death afterwards. As you are being deprived of oxygen, what would someone experience? I'll give you a sugar-coated version. Do you remember the Alfred Hitchcock movie where Grace Kelly, the husband, of course, is trying to kill her, blah, 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 and she is being strangled with a, uh, a stocking, and she is, I want to say, dial in for murder. 
But anyway, long story short, you see her struggling and fighting to live, and slowly the energy is ebbing out of her. Having seen real strangulation victims, manual or ligature strangulation victims, it's not as airbrushed as that. But that scenario where at some point you can't fight anymore, I've seen where people claw their face and their neck, deep gouges, trying to get the ligature off their neck. But what happens? Do you go, uh, does it start getting dark? Do your lungs hurt? What, what happens? I know the petechia in your eye burst. Right. The small blood vessels in your eye do burst, and they form little uh, hemorrhages that you can see on the white parts of your eye. But, you know, before that, you know, we've, we've found flesh under the fingernails of victims who were manually strangled. And it's, it's, it's often their own flesh trying to get the hands off of them. And it's quite often the flesh of the assailant. We can get DNA from that and then um, identify, you know, who was doing the strangulation. But typically, as your brain is deprived of oxygen, the first thing you develop is a very focused tunnel vision. And you are looking directly at your attacker. And as the, as the peripheral vision starts to close off, you start to um, black out. And then you start to become uh, unresponsive. And then after that, death is soon to follow. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Tell me about Mary Ann. This opportunity popped up mm -hmm. to take her to the store. Right. She didn't mean bringing her back to the motherfucker. I went down to the seventh seat. That's going down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, mm -hmm. called the uh, Alligator Alley. It, it turns into, it runs into Alligator Alley. Right. But the further out you get, the further you get out of Miami, right. and you, you got vegetation in there. And I seen a road going off the main road back into vegetation mm -hmm. on the left side. So I got her out of the car, pulled her out, and drug her into the ropes back there. And pulled her deeper into the, there's a path, a little path was running somewhere. I don't know where it led it to, mm -hmm. but it was running deeper into the undergrowth. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, Everglades like that. And we ran into uh, uh, some water running. And, but before we got to the water, the earth was mushy. I turned loose and she fell into it face down. And how far outside of Miami do you think you were? About a mile, two miles. Uh, what year did Mary Ann occur? Uh, 72. Joining me, former special agent with the FBI host of Facebook watch series, Curse of Akakor, Bobby Chacon. Bobby, what do you make of it? Well, you can hear him. You can hear a little talk about um, the locations he was choosing, right? This road that ran off into the, into the Everglades. He knew that these were places that he could... Uh, that his his predatory behavior would would be successful because it was off the beaten track. There was maybe nobody around, and so you can hear his conscious thought as a predator. This is the the mind of a predator, and this is the same thing that goes with the with any predator that's stalking its prey. It's 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 judging the location. It's knowing when to strike, and those those factors. And it's fascinating to hear this predator 
go through that mental exercise because we know it happens, but to hear him verbalize it, that, you know, he's in his mind analyzing the scene as, he's, as it's happening. He knows there's a potential victim there. He's seeing the road that leads off into a isolated place. And you can hear him talking very matter-of-factly, doing that analysis in his, in his head that, that, you know, we always talk about a predator going through. But it's, it's chilling when you can hear him, you know, literally articulate the process that's going on in his brain when he sees a potential victim and he's analyzing whether he should strike. We have obtained actual audio of the most prolific serial killer in the U.S. We believe at least 93 women killed by him, usually the same MO, the same modus operandi, method of operation. Are there more? Listen to him in his own chilling words. How many states, different states, you think? He doesn't want to be prejudiced in who, which women he picks to kill. With me, Dr. Bethany Marshall, Bobby Jacone, Karen Smith, Dr. Tim Gallagher, and Levi Page. Karen Smith, forensics expert, founder of Bare Bones Consulting. So far, the FBI is saying that they have confirmed, their word not mine, confirmed 50 of his confessed 93 murders. How can they do that? Because some of these murders date years back. They do. They, these date back to 1966, I believe, was, was one of the first ones when he was starting to, to offend and do armed robberies and things like that. So it's not that we have DNA. It's not that we have the direct evidence. But what's remarkable about Samuel Little, as vile as he is, is his memory. This man has detailed these, these murders uh, the location where he was, the timing, he described the clothing, he described uh, things that he got busted for while he was there, shoplifting and other things that there are records of. So they can go back, maybe talk to surviving family members, describe these women, uh, show them drawings that Samuel Little has done and make identifications that way. So it's not that they have the direct DNA or a fingerprint or anything like that. What they have is the timeline, his descriptions, the information, and they went from there to, to say that, yeah, they're confident that these 50 belong to Samuel Little. Right now, the FBI desperately asking for your help to identify so many of the 93 alleged victims of serial killer Samuel Little, including one woman he murdered in Laurel. Listen. Samuel Little says he strangled 93 people in 19 states between 1970 and 2005. The 79-year-old is in California serving multiple life sentences and just recently began admitting to murders investigators believe are credible. I can truly say that Samuel Little is a true monster. 
Uh, he's every woman's uh, ultimate nightmare. One of his alleged murders happened in Laurel in 1972. Little admitted to picking up the victim the summer at a Washington, D.C. bus station. Later drove her to a wooded area where Little said they had sex and he strangled her. He described it uh, when I interviewed him uh, in a way where he was actually excited about describing how he did his, the, this murder. A hunter found her body months later. He described the victim uh, and the way that the medical examiner described her uh, matched, everything matched. Investigators gave little supplies to draw his victims when 60 Minutes got a look this weekend. There in the bottom left is a Jane Doe from Prince George's County. Officials say she was between 20 and 25 years old and possibly originally from Massachusetts. Little preyed on vulnerable women across the country, as he told CBS News by phone. I don't think there's another person that did what I'd like you to do. I don't think there's only one in the world. And that's not an honor. That is a curse. The FBI is now asking for help in matching confessions to victims, including that Jane Doe found in Laurel 47 years ago. You're hearing our friends there at WJZ, the FBI, desperate to identify all of these women. Remember... Their families still, many of them think mommy just abandoned them, when in reality, this devil from hell stalked and murdered them. To Dr. Bethany Marshall joining us out of L.A., Dr. Bethany, did you hear what the FBI agent said? He said that Samuel Little gets excited in the retelling of the murders. So sick, Nancy. I, I think that it's important for our listeners to understand the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, a psychopath serial killer. The sociopath is they're parasitic, they lack a conscience, they're lying, conning, manipulativeness. When you get to the point of psychopath, there's the addition of cruelty in order to enhance their sexual pleasure. That is the difference. So these serial killers, and Samuel Little in particular, in order to get off sexually, he would prey on vulnerable women, he would have sex with them, he would manually strangulate them, all for the purpose of sexual arousal. That is the MO right there. And again, because he's sitting in jail with nothing else to do but, you know, draw these pictures, which is probably like his jailhouse porn, he is excited in the retelling of the story because that is all he has. And Karen mentioned how he has this uh, prolific memory for detail. I mean, he, he remembers the car he drove, the underbrush, the, the size of a woman's thighs, what age she is. He, this is a man who is so obsessed and preoccupied with his history of killing that he relives it every day. And if he was in society, he would offend again and again. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are talking about Samuel Little, the most prolific U.S. serial killer in history. Take a listen as Samuel Little confesses to murdering, as he says, a, quote, girl in northern Kentucky after a music festival. We got to Covington, and then we continued through Covington. Mm -hmm. And there was a park that they were having a festival there. And she heard the music and she'd offered that band in there. 
And by her being a hippie type, and she, oh, she wanted to get to that. But the police came over and peeked in, the, in our car. We really wanted me to move out of there. So we, instead of going in there, I took her the other way. Right. Round, winding round, they got hills out in Kentucky, and the road winds around the hills. I seen a little short road going up mm -hmm. the hill. Mm -hmm. And, and the up top there was uh, vegetation, wasn't no houses or nothing. And so I pulled up in there and, and concealed about the car in, in that little vegetation up there on top of the hill. Mm -hmm. So tell me about this, this road that goes up the hill. What kind of road is it? It was, it was like a dirt road. Okay. It was like dirt. The grass was growing in the middle between two tracks. When I left her up in the, in that little road up there, on the side of that little road, she was like partially concealed by the vegetation. You are hearing the description of a murder of a, quote, girl in northern Kentucky that was listening to music at a music festival in a park. I don't get it. To Bobby Chacon, former special agent with the FBI, host of Facebook Watch series Curse of Akakor. Bobby, why such detail? Is he proud? Well, you know what? He doesn't, he lacks the empathy that we would normally say, oh my God, how can he do that, right? Because you, to recall and such. Yes, in, in, in a way he is proud, but in, in, in a way this is just another regular memory for him that you and I would recall a birthday party or an anniversary in the past. So it's not, you know, he does have a remarkable memory and he does get some satisfaction, uh, although at his age it's less than it was when he was younger, uh, in recalling some of these crimes. But in this case, um, the Texas Ranger he's talking to, Holland, developed such an incredible rapport with him that he's actually wanting to help the, the detective bring closure to some of the families. And that's what he's been doing. He's been completely cooperating with the interviews um, since uh, Ranger Holland established that relationship. Um, and you hear him again talk about, you know, this is, this is a situation he just explained where the police came up to his car and shoot him away. He was parked somewhere with his, with his next victim that he wasn't supposed to be. And so they shoot him away and he just drove on. Now, instead of letting her out of the car in a panic because the police just were there, he actually drove and he immediately started looking for hills and vegetation that could, he, as he said, conceal his car. This is, a, this is a predatory machine. He's going through the analysis right after leaving the police with the victim in his car of looking for a place where he can carry out his crime. So, so it's really a fascinating look into the mind of a predator where he's just, it, the police didn't even phase him. The police coming up to his car with the victim in his car didn't even phase him. And he immediately started to analyze his surroundings on where he could carry out his attack. Bobby, you come with me, former FBI, to Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the state of Florida. Dr. Gallagher, I was earlier asking Karen Smith uh, with Bare Bones Consulting about how the FBI has been able to confirm at least 50 of these alleged 93 murders. Dr. Gallagher, what type of bodily evidence would there be? This much later, I mean, years have passed. Can you go back to a body, even if after it's been buried? Or can you observe tissue at the time? How can they connect him to many of these women? Well, there are several ways we can do it. Number one would be dental records. If they had any dental records that are still available, we could use those for identification. You know, and the other thing is familial DNA. You know, if there are any members of the family that are left, DNA can still be extracted from the bones of the victim or from the teeth of the victim. 
and that DNA could be analyzed familial, uh, familial and ignorant or of the victim, which would give us a good um, presumptive identification. I know we can ID the victim, and I'm trying to figure out how to connect him to a murder. I guess one way, Karen Smith, uh, Beer Bones Consulting, would be, as Dr. Gallagher is saying, to put his, Samuel Little's, DNA into the DNA databank, CODIS, and see how many women he connects to over the years, because obviously he raped, sodomized, or performed some other sex act on probably all of the women during the strangulation, before, during, or after. But what other evidence could we look for beside DNA, Karen Smith? Right. There is part of CODIS, which is the combined DNA index system. One of those parts is the forensic database. That connects two or more crimes that are that are connected, and then they can go into the offender database and make a match that way, which is what they've been doing. But here's the thing. If, if it's been 30, 40 years, Nancy, if you find any skeletal remains, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be dealing with, with dental records. You're going to be dealing with, with DNA from bones and things like that. But the one thing that you may be able to find, if they're very lucky, are pieces of cloth and clothing that have not been dragged off that have not decomposed to the point of being unable to identify that piece of clothing, even if it's a scrap. Uh, he described one victim as wearing a cream and red colored skirt. And if there's a small shard of that left, that may be able to also help identify the victim. So you're dealing with jewelry that that doesn't go away. Um, things like that, earrings, necklaces, rings, that may be able to be found at the location if they're able to locate these bodies. How did Texas Ranger James Holland get this serial killer to confess? The Ranger says Little was a cunning killer who sized up his victims and his surroundings. The first thing I picked up on is how wicked smart he was. This guy smart. is, oh, like genius. Why? Yes, absolutely. Why do you say that? Oh, well, number one, you know, the photographic memory, his memory for details. You're like, Sammy, tell me what's around her. There's three tombstones over there. There's a Caliche Road, drive down a quarter mile. There's a white Baptist church that needs to be whitewashed. Phenomenal. So how do you reach a serial killer? How do you get them to talk? You avoid the things that normally work for investigators. What do you mean by that? You avoid things like, um, you know, remorse and, and closure for the family. Because they don't have remorse and they don't care about closure. No, no, it doesn't appeal to them at all. I mean, you're asking them to open up their soul mm -hmm. to the things that are more intimate to them than anything in life. Why should they do that with you? And that's what you're working for. This skinny black girl, real friendly. She, 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 she was laughing while I was killing her. With Sammy, there's indications of visualization of when he's thinking about a crime scene, he'll start stroking his face. And as he's starting to picture a victim, you'll see him look out and up. And you can tell he has this revolving carousel of victims and it's just spinning and he's waiting for it to stop at the one that he wants to talk about. To Bobby Jacob, former FBI special agent host of Facebook watch series Curse of Acacor, Bobby how do you get someone like Samuel Little to tell it all? Well, in this case, it was, it was very interesting that the Texas Ranger Holland came from Texas to Los Angeles to interview him in jail. He spoke to the LAPD detectives 
who had who had arrested um, uh, Samuel Little, and they told him they had a terrible relationship with him. He wasn't talking to them. He didn't like them. But they told Holland to use that. In other words, Holland went in and and he kind of pretended he didn't like the LAPD and that the LAPD probably treated Little wrongly and things like that. So he played into what the LAPD officers and detectives were telling them about Little. And he basically went in there and he befriended Little and he didn't judge him. And he went in there very matter-of-factly, tell me about this, tell me about that, without ever expressing the horror that we would normally feel when someone is detailing these things to you. He had to keep basically a poker face on, but he, he basically used in the very beginning his his, uh, his dislike for the LAPD, and Holland went in there with a feigned similar dislike of the LAPD, and, the, and he found that one piece of common ground initially that he needed to establish that rapport. And everything else in this case flowed out of that rapport. This really does boil down to a very good investigator in Texas Ranger teaming up with two FBI analysts from VICAP, which is our violent criminal apprehension program, and they gave him all the similar murders across the country that Little may have done, and Holland was able to go through those, and you hear him say, uh, tell me about Northern Kentucky, and Holland, uh, Samuel Little goes into what happened in Northern Kentucky. Holland knew about Northern Kentucky because the VICAP analyst told him, we found something very similar in Kentucky that fits this particular MO. So it was a great teamwork, but it really comes down to the rapport that Holland established with Little very early on, in fact, in their very first meeting. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are talking about Samuel Little, the most prolific U.S. serial killer in history. Take a listen to what Samuel Little says about Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, man, I love her. I forget her name. Oh, wait. I think it was Ruth. Okay. She was a heavy set, big old yellow girl and had buck teeth. <laughs> it had a gap between the teeth everywhere. And she, she was like a honey colored skin. And she had, uh, like, her hair was not really long. It was, How tall do you think she was? She was about five, seven. How much do you think she weighed? She weighed about close to, to 200, about 170. Pretty, pretty big girl. Yeah. Now, where did you meet her at? Okay, down in the crack house. I was, they heard about six other girls were sitting on the porch. There was some crack in there. I stopped to go in there. I seen the girls, that's why I stopped. We stayed together two days or more. I think about three days. We was going shoplifting. We went to Sears. We went to uh, Culver's, and that's where I got busted. Mm -hmm. They took me to jail, and she went and stayed in the car. And the manager of Kroger's, got, I guess he got tired of her laying on his property in, in that car. He called the, the station where I was at in North, uh, North Arkansas to drop the charges. Mm -hmm. So he can come down and get this gal and car out of him. They cut me loose. So we 
was headed toward with that place where Walmart's uh, original store bent. I whipped off the road and back into that little woods. It was a cornfield back there. I pulled through it, and on the other side of the cornfield was a trash pile. I parked the car facing out where I could see anybody coming in. So I, I pulled her out of the car. She's too big for me to carry, carry her. So I just pulled her out of the car and laid on that trash that was lit there. So was it like a cornstalk pile, or was it? Yeah, a bunch of cornstalks. What could you see from there? Uh, I could see the highway. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the woods is that way. But it's right outside of Little Rock. I, I was about 10 miles from it. From North Little Rock, you think 10 miles? Yeah, it was about 10 miles. Okay. How brazen. To Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst joining me from L.A., he could see the highway from where he was. He basically left her dead body near a highway tree behind some corn stalks, but by the highway. Did you hear when he said, quote, I loved her, but he killed her. And that she had buck teeth with a little gap and that she had honey-colored skin. Nancy, you can hear the whole offending pattern in how he tells the story. He starts with her appearance, which is obviously what the Texas Ranger asked him about. He wanted a description. But, you know, you have that the honey-colored skin, the medium hair, the buck teeth, the little gap. So... This is what he's doing. He's trolling for victims, and he's looking at their appearance. He probably has a type that he likes. Next, he commits some kind of a other petty crime. For what purpose? I don't know. At a Kroger's, at a grocery store. Um, then he starts looking for a place to secrete the body. And there are so many mentions of underbrush or a, it's like a muddy swamp or the, the vegetation in the area is very important to him going out onto a lonely road, and then facing back towards the highway. It would be interesting to know like, why he chose to do that. Was there something sort of almost exhibitionistic about that, as if he's you know, killing this woman while at the same time looking down on society? You know, I, I think there's something there. I'm not sure that the Texas Ranger would be interested in that aspect of it, but I think it's really fascinating and I think it could contribute to our common knowledge of serial killers, why they pick certain locations and, and why they offend in the particular ways that they do. To Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the state of Florida, when a body is left out in the elements, does it decompose much more quickly? than if it was inside of a structure? Oh, absolutely. And the reason why that is is because the big variation in temperature. You know, decomp decomposition is highly variable on the temperature and the external environment. In the outside, the sun is beating down on the body. Um, there are predatory animals. There are scavenger insects that help in the um, acceleration of decomposition. We often find um, many pounds of maggots and beetles and worms uh, inside of these bodies when they decompose, and that accelerates the decomposition. You know, after watching and listening to hours of this guy confessing to one murder after the next, it's like uh, he's describing going on dates with these women. He knows one is named Ruth. He says he loved her. He seems attached to her buck teeth and the little gap between the front two teeth. Bobby Chacon, uh, host of Facebook watch series Curse of Akakor, I notice he gets more and more animated and 
into it and excited as he describes how he strangles his victims. At one point, he says she was fighting for her life and I'm fighting for my pleasure. Yeah, and, and this is this is a hallmark of a sexual sadist, uh, which he, he probably was. And um, this is what Dr. Marshall described earlier, where he's deriving sexual pleasure out of her fear, anxiety, and pain. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, and we'll never know, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of these manual strangulations didn't end in death the first time. In other words, he brings them to the edge of death, and then they start, he's, he allows them to start breathing again, and then he repeats the, he repeats the act. So um, the, the, the sexual gratification that a sexual sadist will achieve is not from the sex act itself, but it's actually the lead-up. And, of course, now that he's able to talk about it again, he's reliving that, and he's, he's, he's deriving pleasure from it again. So that's, that's what you're hearing in his voice. You're hearing that, that satisfaction and that pleasure um, that he's getting, recalling these, these many horrific crimes, you know, decades later. Take a listen to what this prolific serial killer, Samuel Little, says about Vegas. She was kind of thin, dark-skinned, about 40 years old when she was out there hustling. I think she was a drug addict because she wouldn't have been out there. How tall was she? She was about five, 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 three. And how she much do you think she weighed? She weighed about 110, 120. Okay. What about her did you know? The boy came, she left with her son. And she called him over there. And he came over, hey, hey, he shook my hand and everything. Yeah. Now how old was he? He was about 20 or about 19, 20. Okay, black male or? Black male. And where were you at when you met her? It was on Owens Avenue. Okay. In Jackson. Where do you eventually take her, her body to? I was, I was headed toward California. Mm -hmm. So as I drove out of Las Vegas, I, didn't, I seen a motel and a road leading up to the motel. And I there's a lot of bushes and brushes us beside the road before you got to that motel. That's where I dropped, pulled up her body out and rolled it down there. And I heard a secondary roll of noise. That meant she was still rolling. To Dr. Bethany Marshall, Bobby Chacon, Karen Smith, Dr. Tim Gallagher, and Levi Page, the FBI still begging the public to help identify these victims and bring some peace to their long-abandoned families. Can you even imagine that kind of pain? Go to CrimeOnline.com where you can see not only see and hear Samuel Little's confessions, analyze and judge him for yourself, but also links to help identify these women. We now know at least 93 women terrorized, sexually assaulted, and murdered. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's Best Hybrid Mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner.